Welcome back to another episode of Sports Avenue. I'm your host, Jimmy Simonis, and this is episode 45. Everyone, thank you for listening and to your continuing support. Today, I have a special guest. He is the host of the History Football Dude podcast. He is a wizard when it comes to football knowledge, knows the ins and outs of the football history and the aspects of the game. I'd like to welcome Arnie Chapman. Arnie, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, not a problem. I'm glad to have you on and talk some football because it's a, it's a great point in the season. And of course, who can complain about talking about football? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, speaking of football, this is the 100th season of the NFL, so it's even better time to be alive. Exactly. So, Arnie, let's just you know start off. You know, you have a history of football podcast. What about the history of you? I, I guess to stay on brand, let's go ahead and take all of your listeners on my DeLorean. Let's go back in time and go to uh, 1989, April. That is the time when Barry Sanders was drafted. I'm from Michigan. And just like every other little boy growing up in Michigan at the time, you were going to be Barry Sanders until you grew up and realized you're not Barry Sanders. Because obviously, I mean, he just got voted as one of the top 100 players of all time and in my mind he's the best running back of all time so I grew up being Barry Sanders in the backyard um, watching Detroit Lions unfortunately most of the time losing except for every few and far between but yeah it doesn't matter to me I was just such a big time Lions fan I still am today and tomorrow on Thanksgiving I'll watch him hopefully beat the Bears. Yeah and how did you start getting into football was it you know your parents was it just you know you picked up the football and it kind of just grew from there how did you become what you are today as far as football um that's kind of a family affair my dad was a lions fan his entire life it started really with my grandpa he fortunately he's seen the last time that the lions won the championship back in 1957 but he's always a diehard lions fan if we pick up the phone with each other. Uh, even in the summertime when football is not going on, I'll call my gramps and he'll be like, are you ready for some football? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah, dude, I'm ready for some football. And then we'll hang up the phone with uh, uh, go Lions, even though it's in the middle of June or something when football's not even going on. So that kind of transpired into my dad being a diehard fan. It's something that we can always talk about to the point of people around us kind of get a little nauseated because Football is basically at the center of every topic, and it's just kind of something that we can, as a family, just no matter what's going on, we can talk to each other about football. We can razzle-dazzle each other about our fantasy teams. We can kind of give crap to each other. So I would say it all started with Grandpa Roy. And that's awesome because it's cool that, you know, your upbringing was more centered around the Lions and having that culture and that, yeah, that culture of, having a family bond over a sport. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it will get to nauseam for some people. I can remember the, it's weird, but my Gramps has only been to one live NFL game in his entire life. For whatever reason, I don't know. He likes to sit in front of the TV, but it was a game. The, the first year the Jacksonville Jaguars were in existence. I remember we were sitting in the, the end zone we were up in the nosebleeds, of course, you know, because money costs money to go to football games. And the Lions beat them down like 44 to nothing. But the coolest thing was the very end of the game, the Jaguars were going. It was fourth and goal with like the one or two yard line. We had like our third, fourth string defensive lineman in there. They still had their starters in there. And we stopped them. For whatever reason, I just remember that play and just so, how cool it was to experience that with my grandson, my dad, and my brother. 
That's awesome. Was this at Ford Field? Oh, no, no. That was back in, I think, 98, possibly, is when the Jaguars came into existence. It would have been the Pontiac Silverdome, which now is basically like a rebel. Okay. So was it just more or less you being a Lions fan growing up in Michigan, though? Yeah, I, more than likely if I was in, I don't know, we'll just take your instance, uh, Cleveland. I would have been, a, unfortunately, a Browns fan, too. So if I was in... Uh, <laughs> Wherever that's the fan, it's just because that's the the loyalty to the local sports team. I mean, I, I, my second team has been the Ravens for the majority of my life, as far as just because when I was playing football in high school, I was a linebacker, and Ray Lewis was just coming in the league at the time, so I really liked the Ravens defense, the organized chaos, and everything. So I just kind of kind of latched onto them as as my second team. I don't, I don't want to say I'm a bandwagon by any means. It's just because. Ray Lewis coming into the league. It's kind of cool now, I guess, with the, the way that they're playing. But it, it, nowadays, it's more fantasy football players that I root for as opposed to for other teams. I will say I like your taste in terms of linebackers. Great pick. So talk to me about your podcast, uh, The History Football Dude. You know, what's it about? How'd you end up doing it? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little story. And it all revolves around the podcast. You just made me think about it. Ray Lewis, you said you liked my uh, style. When he got inducted to the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame a couple of years ago, I was fortunate enough to have media passes. My brother, my dad, myself went to the Hall of Fame. We're in the, the press conference room, which is like at a high school because it's right next door to the Hall of Fame. And we're sitting there in the same room, in the small little room with like Brian Urlacher. I got to ask him a question. I got to ask Brian Dawkins a question for the podcast. I got to ask all these guys. I didn't get to get Ray Lewis because, man, everybody was around him. But at the very end, my dad comes up to me. He's all like, you know, giddy like a little school kid. And he's like, we got to get out of here. We got to get out of here. You know, just kind of joking. He took, there was a little, like a paper. It was just a fold-up paper, a name tag that was sitting on Ray Lewis's chair at the press conference for the day that he was enshrined to the Hall of Fame. So I can forever say that I've got, and he gave my brother one half of my half, I have the placard where Ray Lewis was inducted to the Hall of Fame, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, no big deal. You know, I'm just talking to you know some NFL legends, you know, casually. No big deal, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I have another uh, last year or this previous year. I went again to the Hall of Fame, um, the the induction ceremony and the press pass and such. And I'm sitting there before, and we've got Charles Woodson walking by, Ty Law, Tony Gonzalez, Kevin Moy, all these guys, and I, my oops, you know, mistake that I made. I walk up to Kevin Mawai because I'm so nervous, of course, and I went to go shake his hand and I said, hey, Tony, I love your, or something like, I love what you do or whatever your career. And he goes, oh, thank you, but I'm Kevin Mawai, not Tony. I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, it's like I knew he was not Tony Gonzalez. But <laughs> you know how you get nervous in front of your, your idols. Oh, yeah, I completely understand. So I do have to ask you, who is your, who's your favorite player besides Barry Sanders? We talking of all time. We talking currently here. How about all time? It's easy for me to sit. If okay, probably gonna have to go towards Calvin Johnson. That's like the easy kind of way out of the players that I've been able to watch myself. Then I'm gonna go to someone that most people have never heard of. His name is DeAndre Levy. He was a linebacker for the Lions for like two years, maybe three years. But his nickname was the Hammer. And man, every time he would make a play, I'd be like, "Let the hammer fall." Um, I'd say Ray Lewis, though, is of all time that I've been able to watch. He's my favorite non-Detroit Lions player of all time. So if I had to pick one besides Barry, 
I'm going to go with Ray Lewis. Those are two pretty common picks, in my opinion. What are your thoughts on Lawrence Taylor, though? I mean, I know you haven't been, I know you weren't able to watch him, but what are your thoughts on him? A guy who could take over a game unlike many others. I would have liked to have seen him. Unfortunately, I would not have wanted to see him coming against my Detroit Lions. Let's just put it that way. But uh, I only reason why I wouldn't put him in kind of the upper echelon of my favorite personal players is because it's not someone I grew up watching. Okay. I respect that. I respect that. So Arnie, you know, you have the history football podcast, you know, talk about what it's about, you know, what's the purpose of it and how, you know, give us some insight on what it is. Well, the podcast is about the entire 100 years of the NFL. This year we're in the 100th season, but really more it focuses on the beginning the grassroots of the NFL. We're talking back in the 1920s, the 30s, and the 40s when the league was in its infancy stages. It was trying to learn how to walk. And then it went from being this backwoods kind of second nature sport to overtaking professional baseball as the number one dominant sport in America. Because you and me right now, it's like, yeah, NFL is the number one the highest revenues, it's got the highest market share, it has everything else. But back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, it was to the point where it almost got shut down. Like literally the entire league almost shut down probably three, four, five times. So I wanted to kind of go back, learn a little bit more about it. I've heard of guys like Jim Thorpe. I've heard of guys like Bronco Nagurski. I've heard of Red Grange, the Galloping Ghost. But I didn't know who they really were. So I started back in that time and Walter Camp is the guy, the the father of American football. He's the one that really helped build it. So I just started researching different ways. And now the show is about learning how the forefathers of the NFL created the league. So you and I can sit here today and we can watch ESPN, NFL Network, all these other things and these billions of billions of dollars that are generated from, oh, geez, I don't know how many teams it was, from a bunch of guys that were in Ralph Hayes, Hupmobile Auto Showroom in Canton, Ohio, back on September 17th of 1920 to start the NFL. That's the birth date of the NFL for you. And what would you say is the most interesting thing you've you've found over the time that you've started this podcast? Well, that'd be like asking one of the Duggars to tell you what their favorite kid is. You know, they've got so many of them, and so you can't really say it publicly, but... Uh... As far as intriguing, interesting, one thing that just popped out, boom, right in my head, back in 1943, the you know the war is going on, World War II, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles, they were going to go out of business, both of them, because they're losing all these players. So they merged for one season, and they called themselves the Steagles. So I just I, I thought that was interesting, because I never knew that something like that had happened, and they even came into the league at the same time. Um, as far as favorite interesting thing, for some reason, I always go back to Branko Nagurski and the real true original monster of the midway. I don't know. He, to me, he was the original beast mode. Oh, definitely. Because, I mean, I remember hearing stories about how dominant he was. He was a, he was a crazy good player because uh, I know the NFL Network did a series where they had like their uh, 100 players of all time and they had like the snippets of each player on YouTube. And I remember I just kept on like kept on pressing because I I never heard, I heard Red Grange and I'm like who's Red Grange then uh, Don Hudson I'm like who's Don Hudson, and there's all these players that like I've never heard of yet they were so fundamentally 
vital to how this game is today. I remember uh, Dick Night Train Lane being one of those guys, and they're saying like he was just an absolute animal on the field. You know, clotheslining guys, just terrorizing guys on the field, and I'm just sitting there like that's crazy how the game has evolved from what it is. You know, a hundred. 80, 70 years ago to what it is now. And again, just those little snippets that I've learned. I mean, I've learned so much from the sport itself. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not the same. It, it, and there's multiple reasons why, of course. But uh, just even going back to, again, the World War II era, slinging Sammy Baugh, he was in the same year, the touchdown passing leader. And on the other side of the ball, he was the interception leader. It's just, and then he also was the the punting leader too. So he, he had the, a true triple crown in in the NFL. Something that you're never going to see. Oh no, you'll never see that again because everything is so specialized now. I mean, defensive ends are literally not called defensive ends. They're either called pass. They're called pass rushers. I mean, that's that's kind of just. I mean, that's just how specialized the game has gotten. Yeah, I mean that really was initially out of necessity back in the World War II era they had started these specialized type of units because they were trying not to get their players hurt as much. And then it just kind of, you know, went on from there, of course, because they're like, oh, wait a second. Now we can scheme around specific packages and offenses and defenses and such. And just kind of cool to go through the history of the game and how it's transformed into what it is today. I mean, it's just almost none of the teams that were in existence at the beginning, would you have ever even heard of? We're talking Hammond pros out of Hammond, Indiana. You know, the Akron pros, they're another one. Akron, that's pretty close to where you're at and close to Canton, Ohio. But mm-hmm. most of these guys, Rochester Jeffersons, just all these different teams that no longer in existence that most people have never even heard of. So I'm just going to ask you, what is your favorite team that is not an active franchise today? I'm going to have to go with, uh, I don't want to, the Canton Bulldogs were the initial thing that came into my head. The reason being is because of just how much that team into the league at the beginning. Ralph Hay, it, he was the owner at, at the time of the Bulldogs back in 1920, and he's the one that invited all the franchises to his. He, had, he owned this Hupmobile Auto Showroom. They, Hupmobiles were their mains, but they had Jordans. And they had a couple other types of cars. He brought them together, and he built the league. But without one of his star players – Jim Thorpe, there never would have been this just willingness from fans to come out to see these players play. Because back in the day, for a long time, actually, college football reigned supreme. And it was by far and away the more popular sport. Most of the top college players didn't even bother going to professional football because they couldn't make that much money. And they didn't want to tarnish their name and all these kinds of things. So Initially, I say Canton Bulldogs, but recently I did an interview with John Steffenhagen. He was the great-grandson of Leo Lyons, who was the founder, basically owner of the Rochester Jeffersons. This guy, at the age of 16, was running his own professional football team, going to school, working, and all these kinds of things, and he was paying salaries. Then he kind of transferred up into there. He ended up being taking on Jim Thorpe, and he was the guy I talked about as a bootlegger. I mean, just all these things that this guy was willing to do to keep his passion alive. So I have a new kind of heartfelt spot for the Rochester Jeffersons. Oh, and that's completely understandable. And Jim Thorpe has been one of the most impactful players from the past because, you know, he was kind of that first true star the league actually had. Yeah. I mean, if you go to the hall of fame in Canton, Ohio right now, it's not going to be at the entrance anymore, but the original entrance, when you walk in, 
there's this big statue of Jim Thorpe. And there's a reason for it because here on Canton, Ohio, Jim Thorpe and come see, you know, the greatest athlete in the world from the Swedish King and the Olympics and all that kind of thing. So it's just a person that without him, I don't know if professional football would have taken off at that point in time. It probably would have some point in time, but we may still have a legitimate debate right now of what's the most popular sport in America. Oh, definitely. Why do you think NFL is the most popular sport in America? What do you think it's done to outpace all of the other sports like baseball, basketball, soccer, all the, I mean, ev- everything? The NFL is good at marketing. The NFL is also good at early adopting as far as innovative and the technology. We're talking about when TV was around. The commissioner at the time, he went to the M- the different channels and they actually built tv contracts the marketing think about it now when you think of uh the pink and the jerseys and the breast cancer awareness what do you think about think the nfl you think about think about the united way the nfl partners with them so there's all these different kind of marketings and all the other sports leagues do it but the nfl has always found a way to be the first in the different technologies i mean the draft they were the ones that started the draft they started the whole instant replay stuff. They started all these other things. And some of them have been kind of controversial, but the NFL has been the biggest one as far as marketing and innovation. So what do you think about the league currently? What are your thoughts on it? Do you think it's going into the right direction? What, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, it's tough to say that because as a fan, I am probably somewhat blinded by just being so excited for the game, fantasy football, which fantasy football has brought the league and sports in general to new heights, bringing in a lot more people that are more, I guess you could say, casual fans. But at the same time, in a way, bringing more casual into the sports, I think is causing a little bit of a watered-down process. And now it's we're shifting the way that the game is played or marketed or sold and all these other things that has taken away from what NFL or what football in general was. Um, I say that really with the closed chest because I'm all for player safety. I'm all for everything else as far as making the rules and making the, the point score higher just to make it so it's more exciting. But at the same time, it's our audience has probably gotten too wide. We don't have that targeted niche audience of specific you know battle warriors that we're going out to watch so i i don't want to say it's going in the wrong direction though that's that's the wrong way to put it i mean look at their valuations they're <laughs> they just the cowboys i saw they just they gained 11 percent. i think the average team they gained 11 percent worth of valuations um but at what point in time does player salary and the the amount that they're getting i, I don't know when that really when do we draw the line there and what do you think is the future of the nfl going forward with the player safeties with these controversial endings or controversial flags to games that do affect outcomes to the football game. What do you think happens with the NFL? How do they adjust to or adapt to become better off in the future in the long run? Probably problem and solution at the same time is going to end up being technology for some of these. I mean, I'm a Lions fan, so sure, I could sit here and I can gripe about those two calls on Monday night football, Sunday night football, whatever it was against the Green Bay Packers. But uh, it's going to be a tough one because you want to have as much 
human element is, is involved. But if you just put the chips in the footballs and you do all these other types of things that can clearly show if it's, you know, like where the ball is on the playing field, you don't have to have this eyeball test anymore. Or this, these guys inside the pile, then you don't have that, especially with, we're talking also the slowing down because that's where a lot of people are really worried about the NFL because you got to figure there's only X amount of live action minutes in football games. And there's all these stoppages that cause all these, you know, it's good for the advertisers, but for the fans, it's, you know, there's a lot of griping going on. So they're somehow probably going to they're going to fix it through technology, which the NFL has always been an early adopter in technology. The only concern is, I guess the whole Terminator Skynet concern is, does technology take it too far? And do you think it does? Uh, for the purpose of which I watch the game, no. Because the game has shifted to a lot of it revolves around fantasy football. And at the day's end, the people watching the games just want it to be right. They want the statistics on the field to be a level playing field. They don't want Aaron Rodgers going down the field. You're the Detroit Lions defense on your team, or you're going against Aaron Rodgers. And these two calls, these ghost pushing up the face mask calls, totally change the outcome. And I'm just using that as one example. So I think the majority of now, especially because we've widened the viewership and the fans that we're trying to get after a good portion of those just want it to be accurate where in before you have the uh what's the right word not a curmudgeon but that's how they act sometimes is this is the way it is this is the way it's been and this is how it's always got to be it's got to be people on the field making the changes and i don't disagree with that but at the same time if we want to make it so it's consistent we probably got to go through a technology advancements and growing up, what was the game like when you started growing up to where it is now? Because we all know now that it is more points. You know, it's all about scoring, offensive-minded, or offensive. It's more offensive-heavy. Well, I grew up in a time when, again, going back, I grew up in the 90s, Barry Sanders. Running was still dominant. You had that one running back for a team that was just going to get 20, 25 carries. On the other side, talk about Thanksgivings through the 90s. We were spoiled. We had Barry Sanders, and then the afternoon game, we'd have Emmett Smith. Now, of course, my personal biasness is I didn't think Emmett Smith was nearly as good as Barry Sanders. However, that was just the way that the league was played. Um, free agency really made a big impact because they're in the early 90s with the whole Reggie White thing. It really made a significant shift as far as Teams going from one season to the next, possibly totally shifting around. I mean, every year we see it worst to first in every division. There's or every year or one division, there's some team that's going to start off at the bottom and they're going to show up the next year, which pains me to say. But this is why the Patriots, you got to give them such good credit, because in the era of free agency, how do you remain that good for that long? Yeah, along with the fluctuation of having players go in and out, then developing players that who necessarily might have not make made another NFL team because of their lack of talent or they don't pass the eye test. Like Julian Edelman probably doesn't go to another team and has the career he has just because when you look at him, you don't think 
Super Bowl MVP receiver, you think of a guy that might be a good special teams player or, you know, a depth guy at most. Yeah, I mean, it's totally different. We talk about in the past uh, working on my for school. My I'm using it's like a fake marketing research, but it's based on what they're really trying to do now in the NFL. They used to have NFL Europe. It was a developmental league. So even more players got a chance to, you know, kind of get noticed throughout the summer. And I remember that. Didn't Kurt Warner play in that league? Yeah, when I was looking it up, it was Kurt Warner played there. Um, ah, who was the other? There's another quarterback that I didn't realize. Uh, Rich Gannon, I think it was. Yeah, I believe. That, there, yeah, like three or four Super Bowl winners actually played in NFL Europe. Yeah, it's crazy because I remember there was a. There was a. I'm trying to think because I remember playing in Madden. There was like these teams were awful. There was like the uh, the Galaxy. Um, oh my gosh, these teams are like in my mind. I just can't think of them. But yeah, like I, I remember they, they tried this the, the the developmental league. And actually that begs me to ask you another question. What do you think of the inter, uh, the NFL going international? I like it. And as long as they find a way for the, the scheduling is one thing that's gonna be worrisome. But at the same time, like I mentioned earlier, how the NFL is I mean it's a business at the end of the day, so they gotta get as much revenue as they can. But now we're gonna open up the type of fan that we're trying to bring in now it's a whole nother culture. It's a culture that doesn't for the most part deal with American football, except for the diehards over there. Then we're going to try to open it up again. So slowly, but surely as with any time you expand the beginning grassroots of what it was all about starts to kind of fade away. And that's, that's going to be where they've, they got to make sure that they don't lose that, that original, football american football field because that's it's kind of where it's already starting to go you know we they keep making these different considerations to be able to get more and more fans and more and more revenue but what does that do for the game in the long run definitely what are some cities or locations you think the nfl would benefit from going to like london or mexico city what do you think are some other potential destinations for franchises to play in well i know they they have they've wanted to go to china but I, they've been throwing that on the table. They've been scrapping it. You know, I don't know the whole reasons. Uh, when they were in Germany, they those teams were, I think they, going back to my looking at it, I, maybe six out of the 12 years or something like that, the champion came from Germany, and they actually had quite a few fans. So Germany, I could see, you know, their their style, even though, you know, they don't like American football is not necessarily, I could see that. Australia actually has a very big NFL fan base, and they have a lot of podcasts that are dedicated to the NFL. Um, rugby, you know, the really the original sport before football came around is really popular over there. So I could see maybe Sydney. The only problem is, is there enough cities that are big enough over there to be able to have a whole division? I don't know. I'm not really sure what the population is, but there's definitely – a fan base in that area. All right. I want to talk to you about the current NFL season. Um, what are your thoughts on it so far? What have you been surprised about? What are some things that you're kind of bummed about? Well, the obvious bummer is the Detroit Lions when we <laughs> uh, should have won against the Cardinals and then we somehow go from basically being undefeated to all of a sudden look at us now. We're just the same old Detroit Lions. Um, I would say that the implementation of the new pass interference rule as far as being able to challenge it 
has not really gone too well. Unfortunately, that's just how it's going to be when you implement something new. It's, you know, shifts and changes. Back when they implemented the instant replay, the original time, they didn't bring it into NFL regular season games. They implemented it during the preseason to give it a go. Then the owners had to, or the owners had to come back and they had to vote for it to see if they really wanted to try it as a trial basis the following year. So I think that is a disappointment that we just threw this on there. We reacted to a big NFC championship game where the entire world was watching and we have a black eye on us because our one referee made a poor call and they had to stand by it. However, let's not overreact to it. I mean, look at what happened now. Now the Saints are getting plays the other way against them and it's just one of those kinds of things. So I think that's the most, the biggest disappointment from a overall league perspective. The coolest thing is Lamar Jackson. I mean, it's not to beat a, you know, the same drum as everybody else, but to see someone that's totally different that he was thrown away. I mean, I was at the NFL draft when they, they picked him up in Dallas. I was lucky enough to be in the stadium and he was the last pick of the first round. He just kept getting passed over, passed over, passed over because yeah, you're a great college player, but can you make it to the next level? And last year he proved with his legs he could. Now it's like, look it, he has blossomed the entire team. They have a great organization, and it goes to show that if you have a great owner and a great organization as far as management goes, more than likely you're going to be a long-term success, and that's just what they do. And that's what I think everyone forgets because Lamar Jackson, what I really respected about the Ravens, you know, following their past game against the Rams, winning forty-five to six, is that he, like the game, that game, he only threw he threw for less than two hundred yards and he had five touchdowns. That's crazy. I don't know if if there's been any quarterback that's thrown five touchdowns and he's thrown for less than two hundred yards. But what I really what really stands out to me, and week after week they're continuing the show, is how the organization and the coaching staff helped mold him and helped grow grow with him by utilizing his strengths rather than just maintaining the philosophy they've kept for all these years. You know, they changed up the system, and I think that has to be something that even if you're a Browns fan or even if you are of if you're not a fan of the Ravens, like you or you just have to look at it and just say that's re- really cool to see because I've watched the Browns multiple times this year because I'm from Cleveland. And multiple games, they don't make any adjustments. They don't change anything. And I'm just sitting here. Then you look at the Ravens. They implemented a new offensive system, and it looks very efficient. And that's with arguably less talent than you would think from last year because they they lost a lot of players on defense. You know, they lost all their linebackers. And on offense, they they just they picked up uh, Mark Mark Ingram. Uh, they lost Willie Sneed. They lost uh, Michael Crabtree. They lost a lot of guys they had from last year. And to be better and more improved than from last year, I it's crazy because and it's very something. It's something I commend the Ravens for, and because it's something that you don't see often, especially in the NFL, when you see a coaching staff implement the player strengths rather than they just base it on their own philosophy and <clears throat> utilizing their strengths. Because when you look at it and why the Patriots are so good. Belichick plays to each player's strengths rather than just, oh, I have this philosophy that worked once before, we'll do it again. Yeah, it's just like a good, like any kind of business out there. The owners, the good ones, like Kraft, and I'm really not, I can't remember who the Ravens owner is. Oh, I They see. put faith in their GMs and their coaches. They pick the right ones, and then they say, implement the strategy. Just go do what you got to do. Yeah, and it's and I think it's very critical because 
when you have like you said, it's it's a business. If you have trust within your your employees, they're gonna get the job done for you because they trust you and you trust them. It's just that mutual relationship that you have, which makes them butt into great employees or players or coaches. Yeah. On the flip side, let's take Jerry Jones for example. There's a reason why the Cowboys, even though they've had one of the most on paper talented teams, oftentimes throughout the last decade or two, yet they're never able to go any further. You've got the owner on public TV after a hard fought Patriots game where they almost beat them talking about how we got to get rid of coaches and things like that. It's like, dude, do that inside the locker room, do that inside the clubhouse. And yet that's another thing. What surprised me about the Cowboys, because like what you just said, their, their roster is arguably the best in the league. I mean, from head to toe, they're one of the best. They got a great offensive line. They got a good quarterback. They got a good running back. They got and all, I mean, they, like they said, they're probably going to have an all-pro quarterback, an all-pro running back, and an all-pro wide receiver, as well as Jalen, you know, a good front seven, arguably the best in football, and a solid secondary. Like, there's not, there's really no holes in that defense and that, that team as a whole. And they're only six and five, and they've struggled to, they, I don't think they've beaten a team that's over 500, they're 0 and 4. So that just, I think, boils down to having, not having trust in your, general managers, your, your managers, your coaches, your, 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 you're pretty much the people that are running the team. Yeah. I mean, going back to one of the other things that molded my experience and my love for the game, Madden, I haven't played it in a couple of years, but I have a feeling that the Cowboys are probably all their skilled players are rated super highly. But another reason why Madden ratings doesn't relate to victories in the real NFL all the time, just like fantasy points don't always relate to real victories in the NFL. Oh, definitely. Um, so let's talk about your lines. Obviously, not having the year they were, they were planning. And I was watching that Cardinals game, and I'm sitting there like, and going into the year as well, I was just thinking this team does have talent, and if if it's utilized correctly, this team could be a kind of a dark horse in the um, NFC North. And it's like. They had a good hot start. Watching the Cardinals game, I was nervous because I was like, what's going on here? Um, the Cardinals played like three bad quarters, kind of playing how they were expected to coming out of the gate. Next thing you know, Kyler Murray's, you know, Jesus leading the way, and the game's tied. I'm like, what? It was crazy. And, you know, as things continued, the season just kept – it got a little – you know, you saw a little highlight with, you know, those continuous wins. Then Stafford gets hurt. You know, things are starting to crumble. What do you think the Lions have to do? Because I know it's not—I know it hasn't been easy as a Lions fan. You know, what do you think they have to do? What they need to kind of right the right the ship? Um, it pains me to say, but Patricia might not be the answer as a head coach. I mean, most Belichick disciples, when they go off on their own, they don't really succeed in their on you know personal success as far as head coaches. The thing I see from my eyeballs as I'm watching the games is their offense was great. I mean, I'm not even going to talk about the reason The reason why they're not getting in the playoffs hunt is not because Matthew Stafford was hurt. They were out of it even before then just because their defense. And they sit back. The Cardinals game is the one that bothers me at the very beginning. They sit back. They, they're up on the scoreboard, whatever it was, 20 points or something, and going in the fourth quarter. And they they just don't pass rush. You have a rookie quarterback in his very first NFL game and you just sit back there and let them pick you apart. It's like at some point in time, they just need to make adjustments. They need to 
it's okay to blitz every now and then. You've seen that work. It's okay to throw more guys at him, especially a rookie who's going to be making mistakes. Just throw just the fence right at him. That's that's the thing I don't see them doing enough. It's just making adjustments. It's like if you watch a Lions game, if, if the quarterback locks onto one receiver, he knows, okay, I made that reception. I can throw it over. I can throw it over. I can throw it over because they're not going to make any adjustments. I'm just going to keep able to do – what I intend to do. I get to dictate how this game is going to go. They need to quit playing not to lose. They need to start playing to win. And that's just been the story of my life as a Detroit Lions fan. So with the season, you know, on on the ladder and Patricia arguably going to get, he's probably on the hot seat and it's probably about to be flaming once the season's over. Do you think there's any replacement right now that you think would be a good fit, whether it's college coach or coordinator? Uh, I don't know enough about college, so I can't speak on that. Um, it's tough because as many of the co- the coordinators that don't have a lot of experience, I'm not sold on them coming up to be NFL head coaches right away. McVay got lucky for one season. But you look at all these other coordinators that haven't had a whole lot of you know experience as coordinators and then move on to head coach right away. So I don't think I really want – I want someone that has the experience and can bring in someone underneath them with a brilliant mind as far as the, the coordinators. I'm cool with this this Be- this Bevel guy. I mean, Stafford and the offense, they were just running on all engines. And what's been the biggest surprise for you, you know, as a Lions fan? Because, I mean, I, I've been looking at this team. I think there's a lot of talent. Carryon Johnson, when he's not hurt, is a pretty good running back. Kenny Galladay is making some – you know, he's taking a big step and becoming a top receiver in the game. And as well as Marvin Jones kind of being the glue of that offense, you know, what are some surprises that overall, I guess, positively or negatively that you've seen with the Lions this year as well? Well, I mean, until Stafford got hurt, if you look at last year, he was like one of the lowest A dots. This year, he was tossing that ball down the field. He had the highest A dot in the league. And, you know, we've got two great catch him at the high point kind of receivers in Galladay and Marvin Jones. Um, so I liked the aggressiveness that the offensive coordinator had. I did not expect that with a Patricia led team. I just expected that we were going to be the ground and pound and my defense will take care of everything. And obviously the defense hasn't taken care of everything. So that'd be my biggest surprise on the disappointment perspective. I nowhere. I mean, I didn't expect them to be the this year's 49ers or Ravens or Steelers or something like that. But I just, I didn't expect us to be the worst team in the league at rush defense, considering last year at the second half, we were maybe in the top 10. I don't know exactly where, but total points scored against. We were, I think, in the top 10 the second half of the year. And I remember with the Quandre Diggs getting traded. What are your what were what were your thoughts on that? Because once he got traded before the deadline, like it seemed like the locker room erupted almost because, you know, I think they were more on the hot, uh, the hot streak side of things and they traded away a, a, your, a captain that was a safety. What, what, what were your thoughts on that trade? When I first saw it, I was disappointed because he was a, he's a fan favorite. Um, I try to trust the process and try to trust the GMs as far as they have a long-term plan just because the Patriots would have done the same thing. And they the GM comes from the Patriots. The coach comes from the Patriots. But it's hard for me to really understand it because I don't think he was on his last year of the contract. So that wasn't a reason, you know, try to get a pick back. Um he, he was hurt a little bit, but 
that wasn't really, you know, it wasn't major hurt. We didn't get that much compensation back. So I'm having a hard time trying to put my whole equation together where it made sense in my head. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you with this last question. What is your favorite aspect of football and why do you love it? Man, that's another one of those questions. To pick one favorite aspect. For me, it's the fact that no matter what is going on, football has been a part of my life from many different angles. And the passion and excitement that I get for the thought of a game coming on in a few hours is something that is very difficult to replace in the other parts of the world as far as, you know, your business life and things like that for me. So the connection that one has to a specific team and the passion that I have for my Detroit Lions and then my fantasy teams is probably the coolest thing for me. That's awesome. And Arnie, I want to say thank you for joining the show. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about sports because, again, I love talking football, and especially the history of football because it's, it's really unique and cool. So thank you. I agree. And if anybody wants to learn more about the history of the NFL, you can check out the Football History Dude on uh, any of your podcast players or, even better yet, just go to thefootballhistorydude.com. Yeah, so everyone, make sure you check that out. He's got a lot of good content on there, and I definitely recommend anyone who wants to learn more about football, go to that. Go to Arnie. He, he knows what he's doing. Everyone, thank you for listening. Thank you for your continuous support. I appreciate everyone that listens and continues to show support. Everyone, have a great holiday. Have a great Thanksgiving. And don't forget, the Rover Sports starts here on Sports Avenue. Take care.